today. Want you to open your Bibles up, please, to the book of Luke. What book did I see, everybody? The book of Luke, the 15th chapter, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at a verse of Scripture that helps us to understand some things about Christ. Luke chapter 15, and let's read all of it, verses 1 through 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. Luke chapter 13, verses four, uh, 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 15, verses 1 through 32. Uh, I'm reading. Let's all read together. Let's all read together. I'm reading from New King James, but mo most of us may have the King James. And let's ring that out loudly, okay? Then all the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near unto him to hear him. And the what happens happened, everybody? Mm. Mm. Yes. Friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. All right, all right, let's keep reading. Either what woman? Mm-hmm. Light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it. Mm. Had two sons. Have mercy. Our Father's house. Instead.
wasn't loud. <laughs> oh, yes. Amen. Amen. Friends, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You see, friends, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the message entitled, The Kind of Jesus the World Can Believe In. I believe today that somehow we have stunted what God intended as a collective Christian community in terms of reaching people for Jesus. Sure, we have our processes and we have our ways of doing it and our methodologies. We read our books on evangelism and outreach and we go through these, very, these certain steps and you've got to have the amazing facts or this lesson or the 21st century lesson and we go through all of that, right? But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves a question and that question is, are we reaching the world for Jesus the way Jesus wants to reach the world for him? And I'm asserting this morning that if we, if our church here at Hanukkah, Hanukkah would reach out into this area in the way that Jesus would have us to do it, friends, you would not have a place to seat everybody. You'd have to put up a temporary structure until you could build a structure. Amen. If my church at New Life in Chattanooga uh, would reach out to, G to the people of Christ in the Chattanooga area in the way that the Lord wants the people to understand who he is. Uh, I've got a place that seats about 600, but I wouldn't be able to seat everybody in there. I'd have to put up a temporary structure in the field that I've got, Elder Washington, because everybody would be drawn to Christ. Jesus made a promise. He said that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The question that I have this morning is who are we lifting up? And is it the Jesus that he wants lifted up? And as I began to look at this text, I saw something going on. I saw these Pharisees and these scribes, and they were angry with Jesus. They didn't like what Jesus did. They didn't like the way that Jesus reached out to others. And they said, hey, this man hangs out with sinners, and he eats with them. And I'm saying praise God, amen? In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus wore hanging out with sinners and eating with them with a badge of honor. Uh, Jesus didn't recall in horror and said, oh, no, I would never do anything like that. Jesus didn't do like Peter did, act like he was with them one day, and when others came around, was not with them on tomorrow. 
Jesus hobnobbed and fellowship with those that were the lowliest, those that were the dirtiest of the dirty, those that were the highest of the high, the drunkest of the drunk. Can somebody say amen today? Jesus hung out with those individuals because that's who he came to save. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. How can you say that you're the Christ when you're hanging out with the filth of the earth? Jesus said, they who need no physician, I've not come to heal those who don't need a physician. I've only come to save those who need some healing. Amen. And they didn't like those answers. And I want to say today that one of the problems that we collectively as a Christian family experience is that we do not portray Christ in the way that Christ wants to be portrayed. And I'm saying it's not a Jesus that people can always accept. It's a Jesus that we can accept, but it's not a Jesus that the world can believe in. It might be a Jesus that I can, through my own background, uh, uh, finagle myself into saying, well, I can accept that and I can take that. But it's not one that the entire world can wrap their arms around and embrace him as their savior. And so they came here, and they were angry with him. And so Jesus gave them three examples in this text of Scripture. He said, I'll tell you what. Uh, 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 he, he didn't even try to defend himself, if you notice. He didn't even try to defend himself. When they said here in verse 1 of chapter 15, they came along here and said, and all the tax collectors and sinners drew near unto him. Well, they hated tax collectors, and they hated sinners. What they didn't realize is that they were sinners too. And they needed to change the names so that they could be called sinners saved by grace. But these people that were the lowest of the low were drawn to Christ. And then in verse 2, then the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, right? And then he spoke this prayer. But he didn't even answer the question. He said, all right, I'll tell you what. What man of you having 100 sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? And what, what one of you, if you had a lost coin, uh, would not sweep diligently until you found it? Uh? Uh, which one of you, if you had a son, a son that, that, that got lost, and you would not do all that you could to reach out to that son and bring that son home? And what Jesus does in this text today, friends, is this. Jesus gives us three kinds of lost people that we have got to reach for him. Uh, the, first, the first parable that he gave here uh, about the, uh, about the I call, in fact, this chapter is called the chapters of the lost. Here we have the lost sheep that represents those who are lost, know they're lost, and cannot find their way home. But then in the, and then in the gold coin that gets lost, that represents those who are lost, don't know they're lost, and don't care if they ever get back. All right? And then the third one, that son that's lost, that represents those who are lost, know their loss, but know their own way back. And I'm here to assert this morning in the name of Jesus that God wants us to reach all of those kinds of people in the name of the Lord. And if we don't lift up the name of the Lord in the way that he wants us, I fear that we will not be able to reach those kinds of people for Christ. Those are people that he died for and people that he wants to. And the reason why we can't do it is because we have put Jesus into our own box of who he ought to be. And that box began when he was a baby. Because guess what? They could, not, they could not see their redeemer being wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what that is? That's the cloths they used to wipe the sweat and the dirt off of the animals. They could not see their savior being born in a manger. huh? 
and, and, and so they begin to box the kind of God they were looking for in uh, to tell the world about. In fact, in that time, uh, the world, in fact, the church was not ready to receive Jesus at that time. In fact, the Bible declares that Bethlehem was wrapped up in slumber. It took some wise men coming from the east. They're coming way from the east, coming over to where he was, right? And I love what the Lord did. When the Lord gave the notice out, he didn't send the angels out to those who were high and mighty. He didn't send the angels out to those uh, who, were the, uh, who were the ecclesia, uh, the, the great ones in, in, in Jerusalem. He sent them out to some simple shepherds. But men whose hearts were open to the divine moving of the Holy Spirit. And when they got in there, they burst in there. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, we saw a star. We've come to worship him. We've come to give him glory. And friends, they didn't, this didn't hit them at the last minute. They prepared because the Bible said they brought gifts with them. Amen? And they brought those gifts to worship and these are people, we don't know what their religious walk is. We didn't know. They were not a part of Israel. They were not a part of the Jewish family. But they were wise men who were wise enough to go seek a savior, the kind that the Bible talked about. So we put him in a box from the time he was a child. Uh, even when he began to minister, we put him in that box. They asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They couldn't believe that Jesus, they say, is this not the carpenter's son? Who do you think you are? One time Jesus' mother and brothers were outside looking for him. They, they thought he had lost his mind. They said, Jesus, come on outside. Your mother and your brothers want to talk to him. They said, can you come talk to him? He's lost his mind. The Pharisees are about to have him taken out by their secret guard. Can you come get your son real quick? And they came to talk to him. And Jesus came outside. He said, who are my mother and my brothers but they that, were, that, they that, uh, that obey the words that I say? Amen. Jesus would not fit into the box, and that's the problem that we have. We're trying to force a round peg into a square hole, and it simply does not work. Friends, you cannot box Jesus in, amen? In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can't box me in because <laughs> I am who I am, amen? That's right, that's right. They, and, and we try to do that, and that's one of the reasons why the world has not accepted Christ like we can and like they can because we have boxed him in, and now that we have boxed him in, we now serve that out as the Savior. And what do they see when we give him to others? Well, they see a variety of things. They see a mean God sometimes. Because let me tell you something right, my, right now, my friends. Until people get to know Christ for themselves, Maybe you're the only God they're going to know until they get to know him for themselves. And if Jesus is in you, that's who they're going to get to know. Amen. So, if you know, we got some saints in the churches. They're, they're, I know that it doesn't happen here, here in Hawaii, but there's some mean people in the churches. Amen. That's right. There's some mean people. I, and, and they prophesy behind all that meanness, too. Amen. And I'm trying to figure out, I say, well, why can you prophesy that you're mean today? Amen. You know. <laughs> But, 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 but we have a, they, they portray a savior that's, that's immovable, that's impassable, a savior that's judgmental, a savior that is non-emotional, a savior that, that, that cannot be touched with the feelings of our, our infirmity, a savior that is judgmental and unforgiving uh, unless you learn how to perfectly keep every one of his commandments. And they reject that kind of savior. You know why? It, it, it's because they can't do that. They can't do perfection because we're not perfect. The Bible declares, for all have sinned and come short 
of the uh, uh, come short of the glory of God. It didn't say, watch this, it didn't say for y'all, as we say down in Tennessee, it didn't say for y'all have sinned and come short. It said for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they can't see that kind of God that cannot be accepting even in their infirmities, or even where they are, where they're struggling. And friends, the deal that Jesus is wrestling with right now is that he longs to be seen as he really is. Have you ever been truly misunderstood and people didn't know who you were? And those who misunderstood you, they just didn't understand you who you were. They judged you without knowing you. They, they saw how you walked or how you talked and assumed that you were a certain way. Has it ever happened to anybody here? Well, that is what has happened to Jesus. We have given other people a perspective of Jesus, and we have not let him talk in our lives. As the old saying is, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one in the old day. Amen. And so we have now let people hear another side. That's not the real thing. Turn now to the book of John, everybody. What book did I say? John chapter 17. Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to give you what it's like to be with me. I'm going to give you the clearest, most powerful uh, statement of what eternal life is. When you ask most people, what, is it, what does it mean to have eternal life? They will tell you to keep the commandments. That's right. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? But, but, but let's get down to, to a definition that Jesus gives of what eternal life really is. I, I love what he's saying here. And it's part of the process that Jesus goes through in saying, I desire to be known for who I am and seen for who I am. Look what the Bible says here. Or in John, I mean, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, he says, it is, a <laughs> I'm, in wrong, I'm still in Luke, excuse me, Lord. I know that, I, sh I know it by heart almost. Let me just turn there. I'm still in Luke. I'm in Luke 17, everybody. Wrong chapter. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. That, hey, hey, hey. This is a definition, guys. That you may know huh, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Mm. Somebody say, mm. That's the best definition you'll ever find of eternal life. You know why? Paul didn't say it. Jesus said it. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be saved, uh, this is what it's all about. To know me. That's it. Not keeping the Sabbath. No me. Not paying tithe and offering. No me. Not, not, not dietary abstemiousness. Being a vegetarian. That's all good. No me. And if you know me, you've got salvation. You've got eternal life. The problem is, is we don't know him. Remember the story was told about those guys who came along and said, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. We've cast out devils. We've done this, that, and the other. He said, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So that in reality, eternal life is about knowing who Christ is. But, but Pastor Hobby, what do you mean by knowing Christ? I know Jesus. I know his name uh, and all of that. Friends, what Christ is saying here, Father has, the Father has given Jesus the authority over all flesh. That's what the Bible says there, right? In order that he should give eternal life to all flesh. So Christ has got authority over all flesh for the purpose of what, everybody? To give eternal life to who? All flesh, right? 
Now, that's a fascinating choice of words for the Savior does not define eternal life in terms of its duration. As if to say eternal life is to love forever, millions, millions and billions of years without, uh, to live forever, millions and billions of years without, it doesn't say that. No, it's not about duration. When you look at it, he defines eternal life not in terms of its quantity, but in terms of its quality. It's not about how long you're going to live. It's about who you're going to love. It's not about your mansion. It's about the mansion maker. Here's all, is, somebody, is somebody with me today, huh? It's not about the streets of gold. It's about those who paid the streets of gold. Come on, somebody, huh? It's not about the walls of Jasper. It's about the one that hung those walls of Jasper. And when you get into Christ, check this out, check this out. Ooh, watch this. Talking about the equality of eternal life. You got to see, this is the Jesus that we have got to give to people. Watch this. The bride of a king is a queen, right? Now, by virtue, by virtue, by virtue of, of their matrimonial union, all the wealth and the authority of the kingdom belong to her as well as him. Amen? All right, follow me because I'm going somewhere. Yet, if she married for love, all of this is nothing compared to the joy of knowing the king as her lover and her friend. I've got the riches of the kingdom, but more than that, I've got the king. <laughs> That's why it's called the kingdom. Come on, somebody, huh? <laughs> and if I've got the king, i got what came in front of the dumb. Can I get a shout amen, huh? If you don't know that, then you're just dumb. <laughs> and friends, she is his bride first. Then she's the queen. Get the order. She's his bride first. Then she's the queen. And in the same way, friends, while we may enjoy eternal life, in terms of its longevity, in terms of our health. Uh, talk about the Bible talks about those leaves uh, that are for the healing of the nations uh, and its riches, uh, having your own mansion, uh, having streets of gold uh, and walls of jasper and all of that. It is nothing compared uh, with the joy of knowing him. And maybe that's why Paul could say, after enumerating his impressive life credentials, uh, he says, yet indeed I counted all loss uh, for the excellency uh, of the knowledge uh, of Christ Jesus my Lord uh, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things uh, and count them as rubbish uh, in order that I may gain Christ. Now let's go to 1 John chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 4, everybody. 1 John chapter 4. Please follow me because I'm going somewhere today. And I got news for you. If, you. if you amen and holler with me, the sermon will get shorter. I don't know how that works out that way. No amens, the sermon gets longer. I don't know how that works. I haven't figured that thing out yet. Lots of amens, shorter sermon. Couple of amens, 50, 50 minutes, hour and a half. <laughs> Look what it says here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And let's read together, friends. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Hello, somebody. Ooh. The Bible says that you and I were created as an object of God's love. God, friends, made you to love you. That's the part that we're not getting to the world. They were made in order to be loved by him. But how many out there have lived life never experiencing that love, never knowing that love, never understanding that love, only being beaten down, 
abused, misused, disregarded. And he's saying, you give them that and they'll come a running. You give them that that I created them, not in order that they might just be my slaves. I've not created them in order that I might be their master. I have created them in order to love them. Now, I'm going to take you somewhere here. Watch this. I've made you be objects of my love, Christ said. And friends, he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And that means that you and I are created for the purpose of having that relationship. And as a result, my friends, the most important thing you can do is to love him right back. It is not to keep commandments. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is not thou shalt not steal. The most important thing is thou shalt not commit adultery. They asked him, Lord, what is the great, what's the great commandment? He says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all, oh, thank you, my sister. Praise God. Thank you. All thy soul and all thy heart. And then he said, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The most important thing you can do for the Savior is to love him. And then to love him is to know him. Come on, somebody, huh? <laughs> And therefore, friends, it stands the reason that those who know God will know him as he is. Uh, you see, friends, you cannot swim in the ocean without getting wet, huh? Because the ocean is water, amen? You cannot bathe in the sunlight without being warmed by his rays because the sun is fire. Friends, you cannot love, know God. You cannot know God without becoming drenched in his love and warmed by his light, for God is love. Now, I, I got to go back to this word no for a second here, this word no. This word know is a Greek word that means to know, not intellectually, it means to know experientially. Like there are two words for knowledge in, in the Greek, in the, in the New Testament language. One word is called oida, which means to know, like I know this pulpit is here, I can see it, I can touch it, I can feel it, that's logical, right? The other one is gnosko, which means to know relationally. It's very similar to that text that said, Adam knew Eve, and she bore. See? Cain knew his wife, and she bore. So the knowledge he's talking about is a knowledge that he is comparing so intimately that the knowledge is that of compared to sexual love between a married couple. Because there are some things about that knowledge that nobody knows but those two. Come on, I'm, follow me because I'm going somewhere today, right? And that's why he uses the exact same word, Cain, Adam knew Eve, and they bore. That's right. Adam knew Sarah, and they bore. So-and-so knew so-and-so, and they bore. And when you get down to the reality of what God is talking about, God is saying, I want to know you in such a close way, in such a tight, intimate way, you can compare it, the closest human thing that we have to it, is that of sexual love between a husband and a wife. That's how close God wants to be with you and I. That's right, that's right, that's right. And guess what? It's not my relationship, it's not your relationship through me to Christ. It is your relationship to you to Christ, amen? That's right. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, amen? So you've got to have that for yourself. And then watch this. When you watch the beginning here, now stay there, stay there. Go back to John chapter 17, everybody. John 17. Now let's go back to John 17. I want you to go down to verse 24 now. you got to see where I'm headed with this now. See, see, this is the kind of thing, the kind of Savior that he's talking about presenting to the world. 
John chapter 17, verses 24 to 26. Well, the Bible says here, Father, I desire that they may also whom you gave me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Come on now. And these have known you that sent me. I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Lord, you have, Father, you have loved me intimately. I want them to know you and me in the same way. I thank you for giving them me so I can teach them what you're all about. Friends, the bottom line is love begins in the Godhead. It says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And if you don't love, you don't know what God is about. So if you don't have love, you, I don't care. Stop doing the work. Go pave streets. Go put shingles on houses. If you don't have love, don't you deal with people because that's not the kind of Jesus that the world can accept. Uh, and he's saying, this is who I want them to see. This is who I want them to accept. In fact, friends, many Christian theologians have painted him as the impassable God. They say if God is perfect in knowledge, they call him the un, uh, Aristotle called him the unmoved mover that God exercises absolute control over the affairs of men. Many Christian theologians call him impassable. If God is absolutely perfect in knowledge and in power, controlling all things by his sovereign will, I gotta put a little, I gotta put a little Holy Ghost prophetic twang in my voice to emphasize, they say if God is absolutely perfect uh, in all knowledge uh, and power uh, to control all things uh, by his sovereign will, uh, therefore knowing all things in advance, uh, they say he cannot actually respond to anything outside of himself. Now that's crazy. That's crazy. Friends, let me tell you something. If it's impossible, therefore, for God to be an emotional being, that's crazy. Because guess what? It is the nature of emotions to emote. So if he is the mover, the word emotions come from the word emote, which means to move. So if he is the mover, it makes sense that he has emotions. Then, if then, then they reason if God were emotional, he would be less than perfect. He'd be less than God. Friends, if the sovereign God ever, <laughs> over every outcome, uh, could be like that, then he could never be affected by or conditioned in his course of action by any influence external to himself. That sounds fine and re very theological, but they forgot a couple of things in their reasoning. Number one, they, they may think that an emotional God is too human even to be considered, but look at this, my friends. They forgot that God is love. And if God is love, yes, he's going to be emotional. If God is love, yes, he's going to be torn up when you don't accept him. If God is love, yes, even when you hurt, God is going to hurt. Even though he knew it was going to happen, he's still going to hurt. You take my friend that passed last night. He knew that before his wife knew that he was going to die. You think that Julie was the only one who didn't, who hurt last night? That as she drove that car home, home by herself for the first time, home to an empty house, home to, to a home that no longer occupied the preacher that was there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. His last big crusade was about two months ago in the Philippines. Do you think she was the only one that hurt last night? The God who loves was hurting too, and he knew it was going to happen. 
See, that's the nature of who he is. Uh, friends, how else can we account for, 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 for all of the things that God does? Friends, God is a great lover, and that's the bottom line, huh? Uh, and, 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 and that reason why God lifted David up, because in David, God saw a man after his own heart. Uh, that's why he saw a heart like his own. David said, as the deer panteth after the water brook. So does my heart pant after you, O oh God. Uh, David said, Oh God, you are my God. Uh, earnestly I thirst for you. My soul uh, seeks for you. My soul thirsts for you. Uh, my body longs for you uh, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Huh? Friends, David may have messed up at times, but those are the words of a man whose heart was beating in unison with God's own heart. Huh? Let me tell you, my friends. That's the kind of Savior the world needs to hear about. See, Jesus, you can't box Jesus in. Jesus breaks the box. Every time they tried to box him in, Clayton, every time they tried to box him in, Jesus broke the box. Lord, you can't do that. You can't do that. Here comes a woman with the issue of blood. And they're there going through a crowd and everybody's all around Jesus. And they're there just marching, trying to go heal Jairus' daughter. And this woman who was untouchable. In the, in the Old Testament, if you had an issue of blood, you were considered unclean. And she had the nerve to get out there. Oh, thank you, my dear. Thank you so much. She had the nerve. She had the nerve to come behind Jesus while he wasn't looking, reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And then, watch this, not denying her faithful request, uh, Holy Ghost energy surged uh, from his body down through his robe. Come on, somebody. Got down there in her fingertips uh, and moved up and down her body. Uh, got right there to the spot uh, that was bleeding, uh, the spot that was hurting, uh, the spot that needed healing. Uh, healed her mind first, uh, then healed her body. And then he said, somebody touch me. <laughs> and then Peter said, Lord, you see the people thronging you all over you, and you mean somebody touched you. He said, no, I felt divine power leave my body. Somebody had a prayer of faith. I don't respond to just anything. Somebody needed to get saved down here, and somebody reached out and grabbed me in a way that I could not refuse. You see, friends, God can't refuse the earnest cry of faith faith uh, and that woman reached out in faith uh, and touched the hem of his garment. Uh, that's the kind of savior that people can believe in today. Or how about that woman that was caught in the very act of adultery? The Bible said that in order to catch him in the act, you, hey, you couldn't think it happened. You couldn't suppose it happened. You couldn't just report they were whispering sweet nothings to each other. You couldn't say they were eating at the cafe by themselves at a strange time late at night. You couldn't talk about any of that. You had to have three eyewitnesses eyewitnessing the same thing at the same time. And what they did was they came up with the perfect, the perfect way of trapping Jesus. They had three people positioned through peepholes to watch a man they sent into her to have sex with her, to catch her. She, hey, she, she, was, she, she was not even important to the process. It was just about getting Jesus because he didn't fit in our box. And because you don't fit in our box, Jesus, we're going to get rid of you because you're not the kind of Jesus we want to tell the world about. 
See, that's evil right there, right? That's evil, right? So they get this woman. She, she was collateral damage. And this guy had sex with her. They then snatched her by her head while she was naked, threw her down in the dirt, and said, we caught this woman in the very act. You know, my question always is, where was the brother man at? <laughs> why did he escape? Where did he go? I, why didn't they toss two down in the middle of the dirt, amen? He said, now the, now the law of Moses said that she ought to be stoned. What do you say? Then Jesus, I love Jesus. See, see, <laughs> see, Jesus, you can't box him in, amen? They, they thought they had him boxed in. They, they thought we got the perfect way of getting him because guess what? If Jesus upholds the law of Moses and stones her, then he has destroyed uh, his ability to, to give himself out as the compassionate Savior. Huh? And if Jesus lets her go and says what she did was not wrong, then we can stone him as trying to usurp the law of Moses. Either way, whatever he says, we got him. See, you don't have the Almighty. <laughs> you just think you're in his neighborhood. Amen. So they were counting on Jesus talking. They said, whatever he says, we got him. So Je that's why you got to know when not to, when not to talk and when to shut your mouth. Amen. So Jesus didn't talk. He just started writing. Come on now, brother. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't hit, give me a high five. Hit me a high five. <laughs> yeah, they wanted him to talk. They said, whatever he says, we got him. Jesus said, fine, I'll write. So he just started writing what they did. Started writing what they did. And one by one, he noticed, oh, I'm disappearing. He said, by the way, whoever was without sin, you throw the first stone, okay? And he just kept on writing. And he looked up, and everybody was gone. He said, young lady, um, tapped on the head. <laughs> she could almost feel the wind and the bricks coming to crush her skull, to beat her to smithereens. He said, where are your accusers? Huh? Through blurred, teary eyes. There are none, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go in peace and don't do this anymore. See, that's the kind of Jesus, my friends, that the world can believe in, huh? And if you hold that person up before, he said, if I be lifted up, hey, not the I that you want me to be, not the box you place me in, but if I, the way I want to be presented, be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself, huh? Or how about this? How about this? How about this? How about the woman at the well? What Jesus, see, in the box, you don't hang out with certain people, of certain races and colors. This church is terrible. There's too many mixed races up in here. <laughs> horrible. All of you just mean horrible. Need to have a Filipino-only church and a, and a black-only church and a white-only church and a Hawaiian-only church, huh? And a Korean only church. You all are terrible people. And Jesus loves you so much. So he goes out there. And I love Jesus because he got rid of his disciples. I hope you all don't mind. I preach long sometimes. I, I, I haven't learned how to preach. I haven't yet learned how to preach 20-minute sermons. You pray for me, okay? <laughs> you pray for me. 
so Jesus, smart Jesus, gets rid of the distractors, the, the, the 12 disciples. Because remember, they don't get it yet. See, it, they don't get it to the day of Pentecost, amen? See, so, so you, you got to give them a couple of years until they start getting it, right? And so Jesus sends 12 men into town to go get some bread. Gonna send 12 men to Costco <laughs> to go buy some bread. And he did that. In fact, he said, I must needs go. Why did you must needs go? He could have gone where he was going an easier route, but I must needs go this way because there's a daughter that I've got to reach out that is a part of a nation that my people hate. So he went the way he went and had the nerve to speak to her first. With a, can you imagine with a smile on his face, excuse me, may I have a drink of that water too? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you know who I am? No, don't you know who you are? How is it that a Jewish male, that's important distinction, a Jewish male would speak to me a Samaritan woman asking for a drink of water. He said, if you know who it was asking for a drink of water, girl, you break your neck, get me some water. <laughs> I give you water, and you'd never throw, oh, I got some water, thank you, dear. And you said, she give me one, amen. <laughs> She's so sweet. She's so special, amen. They, 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 they blessed me right here, thank you so much. And she's going to give me her water, bless her heart. Oh. He said, if you know who it was was giving you water, asking you for water to drink, you'd break your neck giving me that water because I've got water that will cause you to never thirst again. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Bible says that you shall be filled. When Jesus got through with her, he said, by the way, she started trying to go point, counterpoint, my brother, point, counterpoint with, are you trying to tell us, are you trying to tell us uh, uh, this is our father Jacob's well. He's trying to tell us that you got better water than ours? <laughs> Baby, I ain't talking about this water in this well. <laughs> I'm talking about eternal life over here, okay? And then he said, let me just cut to the chase while you're playing games with me. Where is your husband? Gotcha. See, you can't play with the Savior long, amen? He'll mess around for a little while, but at some point he, he, gets the, he calls question on the motion. She said, I don't have one. He said, you've answered right, and the one you've got now ain't yours. The man you got won't even give you his name. You've had five husbands, and the one that you got now won't even give you his name. And then she realized, man, she, hey, hey, the, the Lord made the world's first Bible instructor, amen. That lady ran into town and said, come see a man. Come see a man that told me everything about myself. Friends, that's the kind of Jesus that people can believe in today. Or how about that leper? That leper brother comes up. You know, the lepers had a bad situation. They were unclean. And you had to cry out unclean on your way near people. You could be stoned for trying to get near people. They felt bad for you. Their lepers were their loved ones that they were shunned and stay away from. Imagine the man. He's there working, working hard. And he's feeling a strange tingling in his hand and, and, and things are not right. One day he's at the sink washing and he sees blood. He's wondering, well, I'm gonna say, how, how did I cut my hand? 
I must have cut my hand on the sickle while I was harvesting the wheat. And he realizes his hand has not been cut. It's broken open. His wife sees the blood on his robe. She says, oh, honey, what happened? And they realize what is happening now. Oh, my goodness. The eyes meet. He hugs his wife and his daughter. Do you want me to go tell the priest? No, I'll go myself. This man goes out there to the priest, tells them, check me out. They check him out, and they say, Robert, I'm sorry. Unclean. Unclean. From that point on, my friends, Robert is now banished from his family, banished from his church, banished from those that are his friends, banished from those that love him and know him the best, banished from his baby daughter, banished from his lovely wife. And now he's been confined to ash heaps and little leopard caps out there. He's out there, and one day he hears about a Savior that the world can believe in. He heard all about this other guy that the scribes and Pharisees had been talking about. But then he got out there and he took a chance. He knew he was supposed to yell unclean on his way in, but he didn't want to scare this Jesus. He didn't realize you can't scare Jesus. He ran up to Jesus and said, Lord, you can heal me if you want to. See, this is, what, this is the kind of Savior people are looking for. Friends, I'm encouraging you to go take this Savior out to this community, get outside of these four walls, uh, and get out there and tell them about this kind of Savior. Jesus, knowing the man's need, uh, knowing the man may have gone five, six, seven years uh, without anybody touching him. Last one touched him was his wife on her way out the door. Jesus could have easily said, I will be healed. Instead, Jesus reached out and grabbed him by the face. <laughs> I'm willing. Then be healed. He, he touched me. He's touching me. I haven't been touched like that in years. Because Jesus knew that psychologically, that man needed to know that he was accepted. He needed to know, he needed to understand that God was not, was not, would not recoil in horror at the sight of him, at the presence of him. And we've got people out there, my friends, uh, that are the lepers of this life. They are the lepers of this community. And we need to reach out to them and touch them uh, and then heal them. Uh, you don't just heal them because their minds have been messed up. They don't believe they are worth healing. Uh, they don't believe that they're worth saving. Uh, and what I love about the master, he understood that man's dilemma. He said, I'm going to fix this problem right now before I physically heal him. So he touched him first, then he healed him. Friends, that's the kind of Jesus this world can believe in. And on and on and on and on and on. But as I bring this to a close today, what kind of Jesus do you believe in? Is it the one that tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down, the hated tax collector, I want to be at your house today and eat with you. There he is again, there he is again, hanging out with a low life. Jesus said, thank you. Badge of honor. 
So the question today as we close, who, what kind of Jesus? This is the kind of Jesus that he wants the world to know. Turn with me, everybody, to Hosea chapter 2, everybody. Hosea chapter 2. This is his intent. This is what he wants them to know. This is what you've got to tell them about him. You see, friends, the reality today is that God is trying to woo the world back to him. He's trying to ring, bring them back home to his heart. He is not satisfied uh, with his children being far from him. He has determined and decided that I've got to save the whole world. No, I'm not here to save a few. I'm not here to save 144,000. World's too big for that. Uh, I've got more children than that. Uh, I've got to save the whole world. Friends, this is what his intent has been for the entire time. The book of Hosea, let me turn there while I'm running my mouth. Chapter 2, the book of Hosea, chapter 2. I want you to see what God's intention has been this whole time. And this is why you have got to proclaim this type of Savior. This is the story of Hosea when he married Gomer and she was a prostitute. God said, I want you to understand what it's like to be me. So you marry somebody who's going to be unfaithful to you from the day, from the word say go. And then he's there and I'm reading about Gomer and I'm mad at her. I said, Lord, ooh, how could you love her? How could you love her? And he's there and he's talking about what he's going to do to her. Right around verse 9, I will return and take away my grain in this time. I will take back my wool and my linen. I'm like, yes, God. I will give and to cover her nakedness. I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. And no one shall deliver her from my hand. Yes, Lord, take her down, Jesus. I, that's what I'm talking about. I, that's the kind of Savior I've got in the box. I, pay her back because she's done you wrong, Lord, huh? I will cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, uh, her new moons, uh, her Sabbaths, uh, her appointed days. Uh, I will destroy her vines uh, and all her fig trees uh, of which she has said, these are my wages uh, that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest uh, and the beast of the field shall eat them. I will punish her. Come on, Jesus. Uh, talk, Jesus, talk. Uh, when she decked herself uh, with earrings and jewelry. Yes, Lord, get a Jesus. Ooh, get a Lord. And went after her lovers. But friend, look at the real issue here. Verse 13, the end of it. And went after her lovers. But she forgot me. Well, isn't that the real issue in God's heart? I'm getting back to this emotional savior here now. The kind that we didn't put that in the box. That doesn't fit in our box. An emotional savior who's heartbroken because you won't love him back. Doesn't fit into our box. Lord, take her down. She deserves everything you give her. And as I'm reading this passage, therefore, behold, I will allure her. That's right, sneak is trick her. Give her back what she gave you. Trick her, trick her. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. That's right. Get out there. Take her down. And then he starts talking crazy. I will give her her vineyards from there. What? Say what? And the valley of Acor as a door of hope. What? And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God, this, whatever, no, no, no. this don't sound right, Lord. You were, a minute ago, you're going to take her down, strip her, and all that stuff. Let's get back to the stripping, okay? Let's get back to that, all right? Let's get back to the pay her back and uncover her lewdness before her lover. Let's talk about exposing her character for who she is, all right? Lord, you're in the wrong area right now. That does not fit in my box. And then he says, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. 
and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Friends, that's a Jesus. The world can't believe in. He never intended master relationship. That's awesome because he is the master. <laughs> Come on now. The king doesn't want to be the king to his bride. Are y'all hearing me today? The king wants to be the king to his subjects. But to his loved one, he wants to be the husband. He wants to be daddy. See, not the king. God never intended his relationship with us to be master-servant relationship. The marriage, the relationship of the betrothed, the married. And then look down here, I'm going to close it out right now. Over here in over here in Hosea chapter eight, everybody turn there, please. If you take this savior out, if you need this kind of savior, this is what I'm talking about. Mm, mm, mm. See, when you get back here and deal with the Lord and see all of the things that He plans to do. Now forget Hosea eight. Forget Hosea eight. Let me just take you here, my friends. The Lord plans to come back and get his children. He needs people that have been prepared. We cannot prepare them just teaching them about the law. They must be prepared to receive him as their husband in a marriage relationship. That kind of a savior will accept the incorrigibles of this life. The people that smell bad, been doing crack, been doing drugs, and smell like it. He says, oh, I died for you. Now I got news for you. When you do that, the church has to change. And when we brought our children home from the hospital after they were born, the house had to change. It was friendly for me and Judy. In those days, we knew where everything was. We're still looking for stuff now. We had to make it friendly for the babies. You have to be prepared to make this place friendly for people. What are the nature of babies? They, they scream and cry at strange times of the day and night because they need your loving attention. The church has got to be prepared to receive that. What's the nature of babes in Christ? They put things in their mouths that don't belong there. They may eat some fat back and some pork. Come on, somebody. Pull up some shrimp while they're at it. Come on now, huh? You love them up and receive them anyway. Had a young man, hadn't been to church. I hadn't met him yet. Mother had these beautiful sons comes to church, hadn't been there in years. Heard about the new pastor, hadn't been there in two years. I've been there almost two years. He shows up and his hair was, he's got long hair, hair was half braided, half done. 
He said, Mom, I can't come to church like this, but I really feel the Lord wants me to come to church today. She said, well, son, come, but Mom, I, I, I can't go like this. Can I just wear a hat to church? She said, baby, wear the hat. On his way in, somebody talked to him about wearing the hat. Yeah, I wish I was downstairs when that happened. <laughs> but I love the fact that somebody else came behind him. Come on now. Ooh, thank God for backup. Grabbed him by the arm. Boy, it's so good to see you. You look so good. And they kept on walking up the stairs with him. <laughs> and got him inside the new life. That day he came down to the altar and made a decision for Christ as Lord and Savior. With one half braided up. One half hanging out. With a baseball hat on. Because that's the kind of Jesus people can believe in. So who today will commit to making the changes in your life to receive that kind of Christ? He doesn't fit inside of a box. But guess what? He don't want you in a box either. Friend, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are special. When God made you, he broke the box. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, God broke the box when he made me. Go on, turn and say it. When he made me, he broke the box. There's nobody else like you. You are special. If you've been the only sinner, he'd have come just for you. That's the Jesus the world can believe in. Let me ask him, do you accept that kind of Jesus? Is that your Savior? I, but I need to ask, who's willing to say, Lord, I will do whatever it takes. Now, this is challenge because it's going to challenge how we do things. We have, you know, we got church culture. Come on, say amen, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, now, now if you don't want all of this area in your church, then don't, don't make any changes. All right? <laughs> if you don't want to have a profound seating problem in the next, like, six months, leave it like it. Don't make any changes. But if you want to come here and can't park, come on, somebody, huh? If you want to have to be calling the high school up the hill here, talking about renting an auditorium, come on, somebody, huh? You give them a Jesus the world can believe in, and they will come. I couldn't close without opening the doors of the church right now. There may be someone here today who says, I, I need that kind of Savior. I need him now. Friend, if that's how you feel right now, while every head is bowed, I want you to bow your heads. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed.